and welcome to Vibrant Lives Podcast, a podcast dedicated to your health and well-being, featuring interviews with experts in the fields of nutrition, physical health, mental health, and my five-minute food facts series. I'm Amanda Hayes, your host. I'm a lawyer turned nutritionist with a deep curiosity to learn about living a healthy, active, and fulfilling life, which I would call a vibrant life, and sharing what I learn with you here on this podcast. Before I introduce today's guest, please note that any information or advice provided in Vibrant Lives podcast is not intended to be used to treat or prevent any injuries, disease or medical conditions, and it's never a substitute for advice from your own health professionals. Today, I am really excited to be here with Mandy Hall. Some of you may know Mandy because she was a contestant on MasterChef Australia in 2019. I am, of course, curious about that experience, but the main focus of our chat today will be on fermentation because Mandy is a fermentation expert. She, she is also a cook, a presenter, a recipe developer, and a cheesemaker. And we'll be touching on those things. But when it comes to fermentation, we'll be talking about the fermentation process, how you can do it at home, and the wonderful health benefits of including fermented foods in your diet, especially for your gut health. Today I am here with Mandy Hall. Hi, Mandy. Hi, how are you? I'm great, and you? <laughs> very well, thank you. Very pleased to be here. Oh, it's a pleasure to have you. So, Mandy, I like to start the session with um, some quick-fire questions to get to know a little bit about you. Mm -hmm. So where did you grow up? In Adelaide, so born and bred here. You know, I have lived in my latter years in Melbourne and Sydney, but, yes, born and bred in good old Adelaide. Yes, and you've yeah. ended up back here a bit like me. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, well, I'm here and I'm not moving now. That's it. No, me either. <laughs> and Mandy, what is your favourite form of exercise? Look, you know, I ignore it far more than I should, but probably walking on the beach, I would say, is absolutely my number one. And then followed by yoga. Yeah. I love yoga. Yeah. I, I believe you were a yoga teacher or probably maybe still are. I'm well, not sure. no, no. You know what? I qualified, but I never actually did teach. So um, that was a, a very cool thing that I did yeah. a few years ago and went off and um you know, there were I think there were twenty seven of us from thirteen different countries wow. and um, yeah, I qualified to become a yoga teacher purely, I think, just as a something that I had to prove to myself yep. I was capable of doing. Um, but I've never taught, really, just some friends. But um, And I now just don't even practice enough. So I've got to get a little bit more balance going on. Yes, yes. Sounds like you're very busy and we'll, we'll get to why. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and what are you reading right now? Uh, right now, mostly... I'm one of those people that has a few books on the go, but um, Soil by Matthew Evans. Oh, great. Um, brilliant book, absolutely brilliant book. Um, and I think, you know, if we want to understand anything about our bodies or food or we really need to start understanding things about soil. Yes, that's right. I'm, I'm looking at my bookshelf because I'm sure I have another book by him. There's a, there's another one called um, The Third Plate by Dan Barber yep. and he talks yes. about soil. Yeah, soil is crucial. Mm. It's, you know, we've, and particularly for a land like Australia, we, you know, when we're so capable of, um, of completely looking after ourselves mm. um, and the soils have become so depleted in many areas and, you know, thankfully now there's a huge movement to start thinking about that and, you know, regeneration and bringing yep. that back. But I really think to the layman it would be a great place to start, you know, kind of understanding 
the importance soil plays in our it's vital it's vital for everything it is and also a lot of soils have become depleted with certain nutrients like iodine and because of the way we've misused them yeah the way we've farmed Mm. um yeah it's um it's a very, very interesting topic and I think Matthew um, writes very well uh, in terms of even if you've never picked up anything or even thought about soil before, this would be a book that you could pick up um, and get a very good understanding of why we need to focus on it a little mm. bit more. Yeah. Oh, that sounds great. I'll put a link to that in the show notes. And Mandy, what are you enjoying listening to? Oh, for me, listening is always music. Um, you know, I do listen to the odd podcast but I find that mostly they become about my work they become about food um you know Gary Megan's plate to call home um there's a a wonderful man um called Hux who writes um deep in the weeds uh which has come about via COVID of of chefs um coming out of COVID times Mm -hmm. and chefs in hospo and how they're managing yeah um a bit about their backstories um so I listen to that a lot also okay I'll put a link to that as well (laughs) and Mandy your favorite holiday destination in Australia and if we can dream a bit outside Australia in Australia it's always got to be somewhere by the ocean yeah you know um Honestly, I don't really mind where it is. Um, you know, the Air Peninsula, Gallipoli Beach had been a new find for me. I mean, I think that's one of the most stunning places I've been. Um, Emerald Beach near Coffs Harbour. Um, anywhere where there's some secluded yeah. ocean, I'm a very happy person. And overseas, um, I've got to say, probably because of the water and the food, Spain. Yeah, nice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> one day, one day. And your favourite childhood meal? Oh, it's really embarrassing, but it, it, you know, there are still moments now where I, you know, I wish my mum was still alive because there are, you know, when I have a really bad day, um, tuna mornay. Oh my gosh. Isn't that so funny? I, you know, I, I, in my era and it was one of those dishes that my mum made all the time. And in fact, I remember her making them for parties, like the casserole dish would come out and the tuna mornay would be out there for parties, (laughs) um, so, you know, it wasn't just your everyday, you know, it was a party dish too. Yeah. So yeah, I still love so it. So versatile. <laughs> um, and every now and then I still crave it, which is so weird. Yeah, but I loved comfort, it as a kid. Comfort yeah, food. Really loved it. How do you relax, assuming that you do relax? Um, I'm, ter- I'm not really that good at it, actually. Mm. Um, I need to get a lot better. My life, I think, after MasterChef, kind of, you know, you, you work really hard if you decide you want to make a living in this space. Sure. Um, so I've lost a bit of balance there, but that's okay. I'm going back. Um, I think, you know, anything that's a really slow cook for me is gorgeous. So those pottering things, making cheese, uh, slow cook, glass of wine, music. Nice. Yeah. 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 Preferably all of that by the water. Oh, perfect. (laughs) In Greece. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't mind where it is actually. (laughs) Well, we're very lucky in Australia with our massive coastline. Yeah. Yeah. So you're a very busy person, which we've alluded to. You cook, you ferment, you present workshops, you develop recipes, you make cheese and more. Mm. So clearly food is your passion. And I understand that your passion grew out of pain. So on your website, you say that you and your son were quite sick and tried many different treatments from the conventional to the experimental. And this led you to delve deeply into the healing power of food. So most of us know that what we eat has a fundamental impact on our health. But despite that, there is often a gap between knowing and doing. So what 
prompted you to really focus on what you and your son were eating? Look, I think, you know, it was a, it was a really, really, uh, you know, I've got to be quite honest, terrible time in my life. Um, I don't talk as much about what was going on with my son because he's now, you know, nearly a 28-year-old yeah, man. Sure. I feel like that's his story to tell. Um, but for me, um, you know, I was knee-deep in a management career in radio and um, working very hard uh, a lot of hours. Mm-hmm. Um, I was just getting progressively more tired and um, more sick um, and not coping. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, it really did lead to an almost very public kind of physical and mental breakdown for me. Um, eventually I was diagnosed with kidney disease and lupus. Oh, right. Um, so that was, you know, kind of made sense, but not, you know, not for a while. And there was a lot that went on between that, including, you know, being marched out the door of my job because I could no longer do it. And at that time I was a single parent and oh, um, my son was not managing a whole range of things as well. So it was a really interesting time. Um, I think the standard treatment back then for myself was obviously, and I'm certainly not um, against Western medicine. I think that everything has a place yeah. and Western medicine saves lives. Um, I think the combination or of, you know, or the way we look at it from a more holistic yeah. point of view is probably more beneficial for us. But at the time uh, I was on a multitude of medications mm. post my diagnosis and they'd also put my son on a lot of medication. And I think it was just this light bulb moment of understanding that I know we needed to take them, but yeah. they were also making us very sick. Yeah, that's not So good. it was about, okay, so what else can we do here to complement this, to, you know, what else should we be doing? Mm. And that kind of led me to go down the rabbit hole of food. Yes, and, you know, so interesting. It was incredibly interesting, yeah. I think that Western medicine is brilliant at acute um interventions absolutely but chronic disease there's a long way to go yeah well there is you know and there mm. still is um yeah. and i look we're now talking um 23 years ago for me that really awful crisis point and you know i can remember back then when i started to delve into i guess food and complementary medicine to assist me down Mm. this path of pharmaceuticals and lots of them i can remember going to a specialist and saying you know i've i've heard that fish oil might be good because there were days when i literally could not walk wow Uh, i couldn't get out of bed i couldn't Mm. walk to the bathroom i couldn't do anything and it was very much met with you must be insane like fish oil Mm. you know what you know and we now know that that's almost standard practice now yeah um for joint issues or you know what have you arthritis yeah Mm. it's um we've come a long way in that time we've still got such a long way to go well we do because i think this is why i think the combination of um different you know specialists is good because in medical school doctors don't learn about nutrition no and in a way, nutrition's a huge area, mm. so it really should be left to the nutrition Absolutely. specialists. Yes, yeah. Yeah, so anyway, what were some of the changes you made to your diet in uh, that I think, time? you know, really initially it became, for me, I started looking at processed foods and what that meant when we were processing foods. You know, what were we doing? You know, mm. um, so it started with that and then I moved to very much an organic diet. Um, you know, I never... I can remember my family thinking that I've just gone crazy because then it became about I wanted to know 
where that vegetable was grown, where that fruit was grown, what was put on it, what soil did it come yep. from, um, you know, where was that chicken bred, uh, what fields did that cow stand on and, and the meat that I was getting for that cow, was it grass-fed all the way or had it been finished, put, off, finished with, off something mm. with grain or in a feedlot or now it, it, as you can imagine, when we are talking all this 23, 24 years ago, I would, everyone thought I just had turned into a mad hippie. Yeah, that, you know, and they, it's so hard to come across that information so hard, as well. Uh, really hard. So mm. it was, it, it, you know, it started this whole journey. So it really started with that for me, um, looking at the sources yeah. of my food and trying to stay away from anything that had been heavily processed. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's a really sound way to eat, isn't it? Absolutely, yeah. and I, I think, you know, I still live by that now and I talk about this when I do workshops in that, honestly, I think if you could do nothing else but if you thought about food and said, you know, has this seen the rain or the wind or the sun? You know, has it seen mm. fresh air and has it, you know, has it seen soil? And if it hasn't seen those things, why would you eat it? Yeah, exactly. I think if there was one dietary tip, if you had to boil it down to one thing, it would be to eliminate highly processed Absolutely. foods. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm. If that's all you did, you're yeah. going to be in much better shape um, in terms of your you know, physical and mental mm. health, I believe, um, if you only made that step alone. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. So let's talk about the wonderful world of fermentation. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So you're well known around Adelaide for running workshops about fermentation. So I think a great place to start would be with the very basics. So could you explain to us, Amandi, what is fermentation? Yeah, look, I, I, I won't go get all sciencey because yeah, I think just, it just it, – and it can also sound a bit like what? Yeah. Um, so if we just think about it's the transformation of food and that, that transformation generally takes place with enzymatic activity. Mm -hmm. it, it creates chemical changes. And all for the better, you know, unless you have a bad ferment, obviously. we all we, When we're producing food of any sort, sometimes something goes wrong. Yes. Um, but it's for me, it's taking a live food or produce and it's enhancing it. Yeah. Uh, you know, really that's what fermentation is. And if that's the only th way we can think of it and that's the best in layman's terms, that's fantastic because that's what's happening. And yeah. let's let's talk a bit about different types of fermented food sure. because there are so many and most cultures have a type of fermented food that's been a part of their history. Absolutely. For example, sauerkraut in yeah. Germany, miso in Japan and kimchi yeah. in Korea. So can you share a little bit of wisdom about... Um, fermented foods in different cultures absolutely yeah look i think you know every single culture or to the best of my knowledge mm. ferments and it's really interesting they just don't use that word fermentation it's such a natural part yes of their food culture that it doesn't click to them that they're actually fermenting so sometimes when i have these discussions and um you know at the moment i'm trying to source out different cultures in adelaide um, that are particularly fermenting so we can have these discussions but they'll say oh no I don't ferment and then they might bring me out kvass it might You're be like, you know yes, that you is <laughs> you know uh, and it's amazing but they've just never thought about it that way because it's been a tradition and yeah. a way of food preservation for them uh, for forever you know it's been passed on generation to generation um, and most likely this all began, you know, we know fermentation has been around, you know, almost we think since fire. Um, and I would assume 
it was a way of, you know, way back then it was how do we preserve this yeah. seasonal food and keep ourselves safe. Mm. Um, and that's how fermentation came to be. Yeah, so, without you know, refrigeration, obviously. Absolutely, mm. and pasteurisation, yeah. you know, that those things didn't exist. So in your food journey, you were looking at where food came from and you were trying to eat as naturally as possible. Yes. So what was it about fermentation that drew you towards that? Um, I, you know, I think that certainly it was it was a, a natural practitioner that we saw at one point that um, I think then, to be honest, spoke to me about drinking kombucha. And for me, I needed to really understand what that meant. Mm. So that started this whole – and then I began to understand that uh, – and I still talk about it this way that – Fermented food is food that's alive. Yes. It, it's food that is teeming with life. Uh, if I take if I take the sauerkraut example, you know, we have this cabbage which is covered in its own microorganisms and it's hopefully developed them from this beautiful soil that it's been on and it's seen the rain and the wind and what have you. And we take that and we add salt and enough salt to keep ourselves safe but not too much so that we can't let these wonderful, mm. prolific, good bacterias come in and multiply. Um, and that's what happens. So you're taking this food that has microbes on it and you're just making more and more yeah. and more. And when you open up that jar and you hear the, the gases or you see the bubbles and you go, that is food, that is alive. How can this be anything other than great? And it's amazing, isn't it? Because if you're taking cabbage as an example – it tastes so different it does. in the fresh version. Absolutely. As, yes. And the longer it – and, the, you know, from week one to week two to week 12 potentially, the, the flavours will change, um, you know, and we, we need to th also think about fermentation from that point of view that it's not just about health. You know, it's obviously incredibly important. It's about flavour. Yeah. Um, and there are extraordinarily – huge different and you know, well different levels of flavor that will come in ferments that we can't recreate any other way because what happens is over time these little bacterias come in um you know and they'll wipe out one of the other bacterias and these are all good bacteria yeah. that we're talking about they'll wipe up another one they'll, they've created one level of flavor and then the new ones come in and they create another level of flavor and so that keeps happening so you get this extraordinary you know dimensions yeah. of of flavor that if you're not a fermenter, you probably don't think that much about. From my perspective, I'm tasting this food all the time and, and seeing it change and, and tasting the change and it's unreal, you know. Is that because as the bacteria grows, it, it changes the environment so it makes it more likely for an, maybe, an, I'll get my descriptions wrong but no. a new strain to thrive. And oh, absolutely. Because so, the know, medium's we, changing. Absolutely. Yeah. If we talk about... Um, you know, a lactic acid bacteria, you know, that, that's generally one that's had no access to oxygen at all. Mm -hmm. um, it's got enough salt in it again so that we're preserving everything, we're keeping it safe, but we're not keeping it so sterile that we can't get these new microorganisms yeah. in. Um, so, you know, it might start out with two or three different strains and then as the atmosphere changes in that jar or crock or whatever we're using, Another strain will come in, which will create another flavour, and that will wipe out another one. And then the circumstances or in change again for a new set of bacteria. And the complexity of this is is extraordinary. Um, and if you don't want to delve into the science of it, I say that's absolutely fine. But delve into the fact that every time that happens, you're getting another flavour. And that explains why you could go and buy ten different brands of 
Greek yogurt and they'll all taste different. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And it, because of the way they're made. I mean, you know, it, and it is like we just don't talk about it very often, but it's like every food, you know, I could give you a recipe to bake a cake if we wanted to make it like that. The, we could give the same recipe to 10 people and I'm telling you that that cake will all be different yeah. because it will be the microbes you have flying around in the air in your kitchen, <laughs> you know, how hot your oven is, how hot the weather was outside. Was there any wind when the, when it was drying out or, when you know, when it was cooling off and so on and so forth. And it is very much the same for fermentation. Um, you know, different conditions will produce different results. Do you find, Mandy, that there are some ideal conditions for if you want to create a certain flavour, you'll wait for the right temperature or do you worry about that? Or Oh, look, I think in Australia where, we're, you know, when we're, when we're undertaking ferments that are really going on from all over the world, you know, mm. I'm, I'm making kimchi, I'm making miso, um, I make sauerkraut, I make kvass, I do garums, which is like a fish sauce. So, you know, I'm, I'm doing all of that. And we don't have the same west, uh, weather conditions as all over the world. So, yeah, there are, there are probably optimal conditions mm-hmm. but i think the best thing that we can think about is stability so finding a spot that isn't exposed to lots of daylight right and it's kind of, if you've got a cellar that's amazing but if not you know a spot in your house that kind of stays at this room temperature yeah. as much as we can so we're not getting those great fluctuations because with temperature fluctuations ferments change you know the hotter it is the quicker something will ferment it can go too quickly and you might miss some of those great bacteria because mm-hmm. they haven't had a chance to get in there everything's just gone wild really quickly <laughs> or it's too cold and nothing's going on at all yeah. so yeah there are a couple of things but if um if we aim for you know a good 22 degrees or somewhere between let's say 19 and 22 degrees um you can produce pretty good ferments from so that from those fermenting heaven yeah <laughs> <laughs> so you obviously know a lot about fermentation where did you learn all this where did you mm. brush up on your skills well, I think you know back when I first kind of started delving into it all that time there wasn't a lot available yeah, really there wasn't um and I didn't know anybody that was fermenting you know I didn't know anything so that was all about trial and error and reading a lot of reading and what happened was, you know, as we do in our lives, as as my health improved, in, well, I'll go back a little bit, you know, my poor son who still remembers this, you know, who is now 28, uh, he was going to school with, you know, sourdough bread and spelt and nobody, like I nobody <laughs> was, um, you know, and fermented veg in that sandwich. Um, it was ex- it just extraordinary. And people did think that I was quite mad. Uh, you know, it was very weird. Um, but over time there became more and more access. And of Mm. course, you know, the reality of Google is that as bad as it can be, it also provided us with an opportunity to get across the world and get in touch with people who'd been doing this traditionally for generations that we could have discussions with. And of course I came across, you know, who is the rock star of fermenting, which is, you know, Sandor Katz. You know, he, he really did bring fermenting to the people. Um, in a very big way uh, and has been, you know, he was at, born out of New York and moved to Tennessee and I ended up doing a residency at his place in Tennessee to, I guess, to somehow back then 
um, solidify, try and solidify the things that I knew. And it just then opened more doors and wow. more conversations and more learning. Yeah. Oh, how how interesting! And how long were you there for? Uh, it's a it's a short period of time. You actually stay on his property, which is all off the grid. Mm-hmm. So you're camping in a tent in his yard up a mountain wow. in the middle of nowhere in Tennessee. Like there's nowhere. And again, that was. Gee, I don't know how many. There were people from all over the world there, um, and we cooked. We fermented all day, every day, and we all cooked together, and we all ate together, and you learn from each other. And you know, it's still, I've got, I've still got friends from that residency, um, and I've been been lucky enough to see Sandra a couple of times since. Um, but, and we're still learning. You know, I think fermentation and food is one of those things that you will never stop. You know, yeah. you'll never know it all. Um, You'll never have it completely figured out to the point where you go, okay, that's it now. My work is done. So, yeah, it's – it's it, and then it's just been learning. It's been yeah. workshops. And, and I guess I, trial and error. Trial and error. I had um, enrolled in a – University of Tasmania does a course uh, which is an um, applied science degree with a specialty of fermentation. Mm-hmm. Um, and I did start doing that. I've just had to put that on hold because work-wise I just became so busy that I couldn't keep it up. Yeah, so, and yeah. I think if you want to do something like that, you want to do it well. Don't oh, you? yeah, you absolutely. Yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. Have you had any fermentation disasters? Yeah, oh, look, <laughs> plenty. <laughs> and they still, you know, they still happen. I mean, I've had – I made what's called um, beetroot kvass. Um, once and there's a secondary part of that ferment where you can develop gases in um, in the bottle. Uh, now, white ceilings, beetroot <laughs> explosions. Uh, yeah, that that was a kind of a massive disaster. I mean, I've grown molds on things that are, are not what we're looking for that have had to be ditched. Yeah. Um, I may have been doing something at the same time and thought that I'd put the salt in there and hadn't. And then, of course, what ends up happening then is you've really just composting you're not fermenting anymore uh so, so yeah that does yeah. happen yeah oh that's that's um just part of life when you're in the kitchen isn't it you it know? is it happens in cooking <laughs> you yeah, know it, does. It, it, it happens all the time so yeah i've had my certainly had my odd one or two or more <laughs> it's pretty well known i think that uh, fermented foods have a a positive effect on our health particularly our gut health yes and there's a lot of information about that now. But when you started learning about this, there wasn't so much. So what are, Mandy, some of the positive things about fermented food and our gut health? What are the... Look, I think there's a, there's a lot we don't know about mm. that space. Um, and so I'm quite mindful of um, suggesting that it has, its abil- it has any ability to cure anything. Or, you know, I, I think that the key to great gut health is diversity, yeah, and, totally um, agree. Yeah, and so, you know, you want to be eating a diverse range of foods and including that is some some fermented foods. You know, I think for me what I talk about more often than not when we're talking about gut health is the fact that fermented food takes, um, you know, a produce and it almost pre-digests it. Yeah. Right. So, but we're not using any heat sources or anything. So you're retaining nutrients and vitamins and it pre-digests it in a way that makes it so easily and readily available for your body. And your body doesn't have to do very much work to obtain nutrient. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's particularly in, you know, 2021 and where we're at in this busy, crazy, stressy kind of world that we live in, I think that's a really big problem for people. Digestion is huge. So if we're putting something into our gut that is slightly 
pre-digested, has more great bacteria than when yeah. it even started. It's alive. We can get all that we can easily obtain all the nutrients and vitamins mm-hmm. that we need from that. Uh, I, I think that can only be a great thing. Yeah, um, there's no downside to that. There's one interesting example I think is that um, many adults lose the or the ability to digest the sugar in milk lactase yes. because the enzyme decreases as you age. So yeah. it's very, very common to yeah. have an intolerance to lactose. But if you take something fermented like yogurt mm. where it is partially digested already sure. by the bacteria, a lot of people who are lactose intolerant can not tolerate milk, but they can tolerate Absolutely, yogurt. Absolutely, they can. And, you know, in the, in that case, there's also something called milk kefir, you know, and where we would take our milk and we add a scoby to that milk, which are, they call um, kefir grains. Mm-hmm. Now, they're not actual grains. They just look like little grains they, and they don't even look like that. So I'm not quite sure. They look like little tiny cauliflower bits, actually. And we put that in milk. And the way that it ferments is it, it eats and it gains its power from the lactose yeah. in milk. So by the time it's finished fermenting, you've actually got nothing left. You've just got this milk, which now has about... We think from last testing at least 30 different lactobacillus varieties in it. Wow. And no lactose. Um, now, that's an incredible thing. So most people who are lactose intolerant can can take that. And not only can they stomach it, they're also getting this huge benefit. Um, you know, if, And that, we're talking about things that aren't grown in labs here. We're talking about yeah. wild fermentation. Um because there's a whole other story there. But, I mean, that's really quite incredible. If you think about parmesan cheese, by the time it's finished fermenting, there's no lactose left. Mm. And a lot of people who are lactose intolerant can eat parmesan cheese. Yeah, hard cheeses like that. And now, for a brief interlude, my new website has launched. It was built and designed by the excellent folk at Clever Fox Creative. Please check it out at www.vibrantlivespodcast.com. There you'll find all the podcast episodes, health and well-being books that I review and have recommended. And while you're there, please visit the Be Involved page and sign up to become part of the Vibrant Lives community. Okay, back to fabulous fermentation. Mandy, we're talking about how, how good fermentation is. Not only does it make food tastes good it's also good for you so if someone listening is interested in trying to ferment something at home Mm. can you give us some tips and perhaps a very simple recipe to start with yeah i think look the tips are you know always work with sterilized things and when we talk about sterilization i'm not talking about chemical sterilization i'm saying you know wash them everything you're using wash in the in the dishwasher or wash in really hot soapy water and rinse it and let it air dry and that's enough sterilization that's all we need to be worried about um because you want to start off with a nice clean slate Mm -hmm. um you know when we're talking about salt use pure salt try not to use salts with caking agents because that will affect you know your end result what about something like murray river salt beautiful yeah it's pristine you know Mm. salt and the reality for all of australia is that because of all the oceans we have access you know it's like i'd say to everybody eat local buy local if you can do it you know the less anything's traveled for you the better it's going to be so better for the environment absolutely um so you know we have all those things available to us and they're readily available to us and you know, I would say to people, you know, start out with a really simple sauerkraut with something you don't have to worry about. Um, and maybe make it, if it's summer, make it a, do it from red cabbage because it feels Yum. really summery, mm. you know. And it is as simple as we could do 
slicing up our cabbage really finely weighing that um, and and another thing I really I, I guess that I'd like to talk to people about is weighing and using your salt measurements in percentages okay because I quite often see a recipe for fermentation let's we'll use sauerkraut as the example and it will say half a cabbage and a tablespoon of salt right well what does that mean and how yeah. big you know how big is your half a cabbage because yeah, it might be, be you know it, it, different it, huge and that's going to really impact your end result so i say let's go half a cabbage and two percent salt and what that means is you know finally slicing up your cabbage weighing out your salt um, let's say that it's 20 grams of salt that you end up needing sprinkling that on and you know with clean hands massaging all of that into your cabbage and you'll find that the cell walls start to break down Mm -hmm. and you start they start to release the cabbage juices and you create your own brine you want to put that into a very sterile jar or fermenting crock or whatever you've got push that down so that the brine is covering the Mm -hmm. cabbage so it doesn't have any exposure to oxygen if you've only got a jar pop the lid on and uh let's watch what's happening now i'd like it say leave that at room temperature for at least two weeks and every couple of days, if you don't have anything that naturally releases gases, so you don't have a fermenting crock or airlocks, just every day unscrew that jar lid mm-hmm. by about a quarter so you're letting out the gases and then just screw that back up again and start tasting it with a clean fork each time after about two weeks and watch the changes until you get to a point where you go, I really love the flavour of that and that'll be enough and you're done and that goes into your fridge Perfect. and you've made sauerkraut. And as you get used to that, you can add all sorts of yes, things to that. You know, caraway seeds, yes. um, jalapenos cut up, um, you know, dill, whatever you would like, you know, you Yum. add that. And again, I kind of go, if you're looking at your cabbage, in, in 10% of that, you could add additional um, flavorings or, you know, whatever you like. And that's a really great place to start. I'm going to try that. I'll let you know. <laughs> so just so I'm clear, when yeah. you say unscrew the jar, if you yeah. don't have a fermenting yeah. crock, you don't take it don't fully take it off. off. Just like a quarter turn, enough to release any gases mm-hmm. that have built up as it's fermenting. Um, but you don't want to let any oxygen right. in. Okay. Uh, you know, because the, le- the less often we do that, the better it is. If we, you know, nothing's going to happen if you, you if you do. But you know, the least amount of oxygen that we get into that jar, the better. So that's called an anaerobic ferment. Mm-hmm. Um, and the lactobacillus or the the lactic acid bacteria that form in that anaerobic environment um do so at their best state without the in the absence of oxygen obviously right oh that that doesn't sound too hard but i don't want to speak too quickly (laughs) (laughs) and um i just want to quickly ask you about this you also make cheese which is another fermented product and i think many people probably don't realize that no i think there are you know there are a lot of fermented products that people don't actually realize are fermented um and cheese is, is one of them, you know. Cheese is the addition of, of bacteria yeah. to milk, essentially. Um, yeah, so that's quite exciting. I love doing that. I yeah. bet. And where did you learn how to make cheese? Uh, so initially it was just I did a few cheese courses. Mm-hmm. Or initially I used to make my own ricotta um, and I kind of remember I might have seen a recipe for that. And then over time, you know, you start to improve on that and you want to know more and then it became about halloumi and then I started doing a couple of cheese courses Um you know, and there's some very, you know, really credible people around that you can do yes. those with and start off with some basic fresh cheeses, things like mozzarella yep. and 
Uh, then I decided I really like this, so I went to TAFE and um, did an artisan cheesemakers wow. course. Yeah. Oh, yeah. how brilliant. Yeah, I love it. Yeah. I'd love to do much more of it. Yeah, yeah, it's great. Um, favourite cheese? Ooh. Hard and soft. Favourite hard, favourite okay. soft. Um, oh, we've got so many great cheesemakers in yeah, Australia. Yes. We really do. Um, you know, I love... I love some of the cheeses that come from overseas because they're so complex. It's great. But we're, we're doing so well in Australia. And, um, we, you know, we have Chris Lloyd. We have Barossa Valley here in, just, just in South Australia. We've got Utter Delights. Utter Delights, yeah. um, I mean, there's so many. All of their brie's I absolutely love. So that's a favourite for me. Um, in hard cheeses, there's a man by the name of Kim Masters who, funnily enough, used to work. He was a corporate guy forever and ever in investment banking, I think. And about eight years ago, he gave it all up to become a cheesemaker. He did the course at at TAFE that I had done and then ended up going off to Italy and really, truly studying cheesemaking. He's up in the Adelaide Hills, I think in Lobethal. It's called Section 28. Okay. He is making some of the most extraordinary hard cheeses Mm, I've ever tasted. Um, They're very, uh, you know, those very alpine cheeses that we haven't seen made in Australia well, certainly not in South Australia. One of them in particular, he, he has a license. He's one of the very few cheesemakers to get a license to make cheese from raw milk. Um, right. Uh, and obviously, you know, he really knows his stuff. Um, and the complexities of flavour in a raw milk cheese that's done really well, it, they're extraordinary. But he's doing very exciting things. Because yeah. I believe for a long time we couldn't import cheeses from France like no. Roquefort that was no. made from raw milk. No. I think no. we can import them we now. We can now, you know, and then there's always a threat of that being taken away. I mean, it's it's a really – there's a podcast on its own actually, but, um, you know, I, I understand why we can't get access to raw milk um, in the wrong hands. It's a mm. very dangerous thing. But in the right hands, um, you really can, ex- you know, um, I guess you can make some extraordinary products. Yeah, yeah. I guess um, when it's raw, it's got all the bacteria it and everything <laughs> in it, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. yeah. It really is amazing. Um, and making cheese in that environment with raw milk is quite, you know, quite astonishing. Yeah. I had some oh. time in a farm in Dalesford, um, you know, when I came out of MasterChef. And, of course, you have access to raw milk all the time. They have they had the cows. and that that was just quite astonishing to see what you could do but again you know there are there are safety rules in place for very good reason yeah, we have to be careful of that yeah mm, mm. so you mentioned master chef yeah. so <laughs> um well congratulations for, for being you. on the show i have a nephew who was on the show oh, i can't remember which year it was a long time ago michael weldon i so, love michael yeah. i actually michael and i message each other a bit well, we haven't met but we do message each other he's a lovely guy he very is, clever he yeah. is a lovely guy he so he's my husband's sister's son there you go so, see it's adelaide that's adelaide in, it is that's adelaide <laughs> right there it must have been, I imagine, amazing, fun, inspiring, stressful. Looks yeah. very stressful. I don't think yeah. I could handle it myself. What was the most important lesson you learned? Oh, wow. Um, gee, you know, I learned some big things about myself in that time. I and um, I think, you know, the reality is getting thrown into a house with 23 other people. And I know everyone thinks it's so glamorous and I can talk about it now because I don't do MasterChef this way anymore. So I can now kind of spill the beans on that bit. But, you know, there were there were seven people in my bedroom. Oh, sounds awful. And um, 
you know, you've got you've all got to get ready in the morning, and there's no like, you know, there's one kitchen, and you know, there was in yeah, it was it's very full on. You don't know from one day to the next what you're doing. Mm. What you see on MasterChef is what you get. The times are the times. You know, is that right? Absolutely. So oh, you know, okay. a, a 45 minute cook or a 60 minute cook is exactly that. Right. So it is pretty stressful. Um, and you go in there thinking, well, certainly from my perspective, thinking, oh, it doesn't matter. I've got this far and it just feels great to be a part of it. And then you just every day you're terrified I bet. of being eliminated or having a bad dish or being humiliated or, you know, it's it's quite unreal. Uh, I think the biggest thing that I learned about myself was that I was capable of so much more than I mm. thought I was. Yeah. Wow, that's a great lesson, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. And yeah. going through that that show and that stress and – you may not have learnt that had you not no, been in that position. No, no, you, you, you wouldn't. Like you, you've got to – I think I was 52 when I did the show and all of a sudden I'm a 52-year-old in a house with 23 other people. Oh. I have no wallet. I have no phone. I have no passport. I'm not even allowed to open a front door. Um, I have <laughs> no like way. lockdown. It, it's like, yeah, you know, you're ringing home. You get to ring home twice a week for 20 minutes. You have – no computer you have so everything you do you have to remember and yeah. you know, it's, it's done very differently now but that was kind of how it was done in, in my season and the seasons prior to that you really do learn that you can do quite amazing things yeah yeah I must admit one of the things that impressed me so much about the show when I, I haven't watched it for a few yeah. years now but was the memories of the people cooking yeah. the dishes? Like, yeah. How do they know? Yeah, just it's so amazing much. that pressure. Well, you look, you know, you work really hard to try and learn. And I think that you know, if you're a true foodie, you know, reading about food is all you do anyway. Yeah. Um, and then you know, you just hope that you remember it. <laughs> you you hope that you remember it at the time, and you, you just it, it really. Sometimes I think about just a couple of things, like cutting my finger mid cook, and just refusing to stop. Yeah, you know, and, you, and I'm not the only one. You know, it wasn't that I was some great martyr. I mean, everybody behaves this way. You get in those double doors, Burn and you yourself. do, yeah, you do things that you just wouldn't expect, or you do really silly things that you can't imagine why you would say that or do that. And I remember prior to being on the show, you'd watch it sometimes and think, why on earth did they do that? Until you're there yeah. and you're in that kitchen and it does the weirdest of things to you. Oh, weird imagine. great and weird not so great. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I also wonder too, did you watch yourself back? No. Yeah, see, I don't think I'd want no, to I don't. either. <laughs> because once you've been in there in the kitchen, you've sort of handed it over. You've handed over the editorial. Yeah, that's right. It's know, finished. So. <laughs> There's not much you can do. No, and I think that, you know, it's one of those things. If you're horrified by something you've said or some the way you've stood or scratched your head or whatever, like you can't change it. So I, I don't want to watch it because why well, I live with that. Yeah. And I also went out much earlier than I would have liked and I don't need to relive that. I still, you know, I'm still bitter and twisted. <laughs> um, not because I don't think I deserve to go out. I certainly did. And, you know, um, I'm very lucky post a show that I have contact with, you know, Gary Megan and yeah. Matt Preston and I deserved it. The dish I cooked that day was woeful. Um, so there was no no problem there. But, uh, yeah, I don't need to relive it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think it's amazing that the contestants on that show have a lot of them have gone on to do really great things. Yeah, look, you know, and it's a credit to them, honestly, because mm. I know firsthand that once you leave the show, you leave the show, um, you know, and – 
some of us stay, try and contact each other, which is why I have that relationship with Michael. You know, you do end up with a bit of a master yep. chef family. Some people don't want to know about that, and I get that. Um, but it's up to you what you do. Nobody actually comes in, in, unless you're winning. You, mm. You're a winner, or maybe you've come second place. Nobody comes knocking on your door saying, "Here you go. Let me offer you all of these things." Um, you create your own destiny post yeah. the show. Um, what the show does do is probably enable you to have conversations with people that necessarily might not talk to you about food because you're not a chef or um, – Well, it gives you a profile, it? does. It? And it, for me, it gave me a platform to talk about fermentation. Yeah. Oh, fantastic. Um, and it has been an extraordinary platform for that. And I think probably too you really have to capitalise on it when it's you do, there when because it's there. the next season's it's The next season's there. Up. There's a whole, you know, nobody knows, you know, nobody knows. Most people who I work with now who might employ me um, either to write recipes or do workshops or food consult, some of them don't even know I've ever been on MasterChef mm. Um, mm. because I'm done and dusted, you know. I wasn't – that's finished, yeah. Yeah, no, it's so, interesting, isn't yeah. it? Well, you've obviously, you know, made the most of that opportunity, so that's great. Um, and another thing you do – is you're an ambassador for Food Bank I South am. Australia. I am. I love that. So yeah. tell us a bit about that. What does Food Bank do? What do you do? Yeah, um, Food Bank, I, you know, I, th- I feel that Food Bank's profile is probably not as well known as it should be in South Australia and um, they're an extraordinary organisation, so they're a charity. Mm-hmm. They probably supply, not probably, they do supply about 80% of the food that goes to to our charities like Hutt Street or yeah. um, St Vinnie's or wherever, that's all supplied by Food Bank. Um, and they are just through the way all food banks, there's food bank throughout Australia, but each yep. state is run independently. Mm-hmm. Um, and our state gets very little funding and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm privy to those numbers and I won't say it because it's not my place yeah, sure. to do so, but I'm telling you it is next to nothing. Um, yet we supply over 130,000 meals a month. Oh, that's amazing. In South Australia mm. to people who are facing food insecurity. They cannot feed themselves. Um, you know, it, they're really staggering numbers. And, in fact, if we probably did those, had a proper survey done again, you'd find that since COVID yeah. and since a whole lot of things have happened in our world that those numbers are even greater. Um, so my role as an ambassador with them is is obviously to gain awareness. Mm-hmm. And uh, At the moment I'm working on an incredible project with them where we're looking at, when we get food gluts, we have some very um, generous farmers and growers in this uh, state of ours um, and producers. So, you know, you might get milk that th- they might have made had an excess run and there was hundreds of hundreds of bottles left over and they'll come and donate that. Or Brilliant. farmers, pumpkin growers who all of a sudden find themselves unable to sell all that pumpkin that they've grown for whatever reason. And, you know, keeping in mind that farming is really hard now, Anyway, so farmers are doing it tough, but they still find a way to be very generous. Mm-hmm. So they might drop off tons and tons and tons of pumpkin. And then it's, oh, well, how do we get that out? What do yeah. we do with that? How can we retain some of that um, seasonal produce and still provide nutritious food? Because you can imagine all of a sudden when you're just faced with tons and tons and tons of pumpkin, you can't always get that to the people. Yeah, sure. And then some of those people are living in a park. They may not be able to cook that pumpkin. Yeah. So what else, you know, what can we do? Uh, so I'm working on a project with them at the moment, um, which is quite incredible, and that's looking at ways that we can shelf-stable provide and capture 
some of that seasonal produce. So dehydrating, for example? Um, so, well, or? at the moment we're, we're more so looking at it becoming a long-life shelf product mm-hmm. without losing any nutrient. Right, so fermenting, um, for example. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, there are all sorts of things that we're looking at at the moment, but it will be a case of somebody being able to access perhaps a pouch of food mm-hmm. um, that, you know, they may, if they've got access to a kitchen, be able to turn into five or six different meals or if they don't have access, they could literally consume that product as is. Um, oh, that's so, so important, isn't it? So important, mm. yeah, yeah. It's something that people probably don't think about very much. No, you know? we don't, you know, we don't think about it and I don't think people think about food bank, you know, or know as much about food bank as, you know, as as we would like and yeah. that's part of my job um and you know reality is i've never known what it's like to not know where my next meal's coming from it, me either it, I, you know that's my reality yeah. and that is not the reality of so many people mm. and we take that very much for granted um and uh, you know it's so many kids that roll up to school and have had no breakfast have no lunch and potentially when they get home may not have any food yeah and, you know, there's a lot of children that are facing that situation. Um, uh, it, it, there's a food bank have, they provide to the charities, they have mobile food hubs. So they were, um, they're South Australia's most official um, disaster charity. So in the times of Kangaroo Island fires or the Lobethal or the Hills fires, they take up what is almost a supermarket on wheels so Great. that people in that community can go and get what they need, mm. um, you know, that, they did that in Port Lincoln, in Lobethal, in Kangaroo Island. They, so they have the mobile food hub and they have what's called, um, it, they still call it a food hub, but it's almost like a mini supermarket. Yeah, I've heard of that. Mm. And there's more and more of them opening. They've just opened right. one in Alice Springs, but there's lots around South Australia uh, where essentially, you know, if you are facing food insecurity, you can go and it's presented so beautifully so that you go in, you grab your trolley and you do your shopping mm. um, for your family. Uh, at a very minimal cost yeah. so that you can provide. And I believe that volunteers work. They're yeah. astonishing, the volunteers. Yeah. And, you know, that food bank would not survive without those volunteers. Yeah. And a lot of those volunteers, you know, they're not people that they, they come in week after week after week, year after year. Um, and without them, there's no way that food bank would be able to run. Yeah. Mm. So if someone listening to this is interested in um, – helping in some way, um, helping food bank, what, what's the best way to do that? Look, you know, ultimately if you've got if you've got any spare cash, yeah. that's fantastic because what that means is they can then go and purchase, you know, what they know they need at specific times of the year or what have you. But it doesn't always have to be about that. It might be that you'll see a food drive. At the moment there's a food drive on and they come they're on quite regularly. Go on to Food Bank's website, Food Bank South Australia. Mm-hmm. If you've got some spare cans in your pantry or packets of pasta, you know, send them in. That would be yeah. brilliant. Donating, um, you know, maybe volunteering if you've got some spare time, um, getting school kids involved, maybe creating their own food drive. Great. There, I think there are a lot of things that we can do. Okay. Yeah. Well, I'll put a link to that in the show notes Thank as well. You. And, Mandy, to wrap up, who inspires you? Oh, you know, I. that's a really hard question because all sorts of people inspire me. I think it is... Those who are willing to make themselves vulnerable, to be honest, Mm -hmm. um, you know, to put themselves in a position where they are quite vulnerable and they will have a go, I find that incredibly inspiring because I think what that means, it tells all of us, no matter what it is that you're doing, that there's a chance that you can make it. Yeah, 
Yeah, and and also if you don't try something, you never know, no, do you? you never like know. if you sit in your comfort you know? zone and don't yeah, put yourself yeah. out there, yeah. And, and it's and, all right to fail, and I think yeah. that's what you know. And a lot of us don't know that, and a lot of us don't sit well with being vulnerable. So those that will publicly do that, to I guess. You know, lead as as an example for others that this is okay. You know, that take a chance um, because you know, if not now, when? And um, and we don't need doesn't need to be perfect. You just need to have a go. Yeah. And I think that yeah, people who do that, I find incredibly inspiring. Yeah. So, Amanda, the final question that I like to ask sure. everyone: if you could recommend two things that people could do to improve their well being, what would they be? Oh. Get some regular exercise mm-hmm. because I know that I've neglected that a lot of late. So, and it doesn't have to be huge. You know, it might be walking in yeah. fresh air. Get out in nature. Oh, there's already two things, and I'm going to oh, say, you know, say three. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, sleep. Yeah. Sleep well. You know. So many people say that. Yeah. That's a very two very common responses are um, n- get out in nature and yeah. move yeah. and sleep. Yeah, I think mm. that we can eat as many fermented foods as we like. Um, but if we don't have any access to Mother Nature or we're not sleeping very well, uh, our gut health is never going to improve. No, um, that's you know? right. So, mm. yeah, I think those are the two big things that improve life and give longevity. Yeah, yeah, yeah I agree. So uh, if people uh, would like to follow you and see what you're up to, what's the best way to do that? At the moment, I'm, I'm just about – I'm not going to give you my website because I'm just about to rebuild it. Oh, I mean, cool. they can find me there, which is Love Ferments and Food. Um, but on Instagram or on Facebook, I am at Mandy Hall Food. And that's the best place to find okay, me. Great. And then they can message me if they've got any questions and I'm happy to help out anywhere I can. Excellent. And do you have any fermentation workshops coming up? I don't at the moment because we're coming to the end of the sure. year. Um, but all of those things are always advertised on my social media when, when I do. So, yes, exciting times. Yeah, fantastic. <laughs> well, thank you so much. It's been a real pleasure talking with you today, thank Mandy, you. and sharing your knowledge with yeah. us. Well, thank you for having me. And that was the delightful, multi-talented, fermentation and food-loving Mandy Hall. I am going to make some sauerkraut based on the recipe that Mandy gave us during the podcast and I'll keep you posted on how that goes. Thank you for listening and I hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you did, please share the podcast and tell your friends about it and if you could take a minute to leave a rating on Apple Podcasts, that will help people find my podcast and I'm always grateful for that. You can subscribe to Vibrant Lives Podcast on all good podcast providers like Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and also on YouTube. And please follow me on Instagram at Vibrant underscore Lives underscore Podcast and on Facebook at Vibrant Lives Podcast. And of course, as I mentioned during the podcast, please have a look at my new website at www.vibrantlivespodcast.com. And you can contact me via the links in my website. Thanks again for tuning in. Eat well, move well, think well.